1: Bringing you the food you love, McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello, and welcome to Albion Analysis with me, Chris Hall, and Pete George of the Albion Analytics Twitter account. Well, Pete... We finally got a goal. We avoided that club record, but sadly, that's largely where the positives ended. Another dismal second half display followed what was a pretty average first half, elevated by the joy of finally bagging a goal. What were your thoughts on the performance against Middlesbrough?
0: That sums up quite well. I thought we were generally not very good. I think the first half performance was kind of masked by... The fact that we actually scored a goal for once and went in leading, I don't think the actual performance is very good. Um, we had a, a bit of luck with the goal and basically we didn't look really like scoring. Otherwise, we've not got a, a way to consistently create good chances.
1: I understand Bruce is trying to find a way to play with this group of players and that is deeply challenging because we said last week that Valerian Ishmael's style of play is highly specialised and the likelihood is that any manager coming in to a group of players that he had built to play a certain way was going to struggle with it. So I do have a degree of sympathy. In fact, I have quite a bit of sympathy with Steve Bruce. I think what he's been given is quite a thankless task, if truth be told. That being said, I look at, the way we've played over the last few games and some of the numbers around it. And we're chopping and changing so much. Where we're, we're isolating our attacks changes. The average position of players is changing massively. We, we got much closer to Carroll against Luton. And then... Against Middlesbrough, it seemed like again he was isolated. Like the the, the other players were much further away. And the av- I know you're not a massive fan of the average player position data, but it did it, it did seem from where where Grant was taking his touches that suddenly he's a lot wider. Again, the four at the back for me doesn't work. I I I understand why Bruce has tried to move away from it for a couple of reasons. One because it was so vilified under Val, and also the fact that he's trying to find a way to get more attacking players into the side to score a goal. But we just we 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 just look porous at the back. And I, I even before the goal, I thought in that first half we look liable to concede the ball over the top. How Connor Townsend hasn't been sent off, how the referee hasn't even given a foul is utterly ludicrous, but it's a red. It's a red. Anybody telling me that Bartley's going to get round on the cover is very much wearing West Bromwich Albion tinted glasses. As far as I'm concerned, that's a red all day long. So we, we, we were being found out a little bit in that first half, obviously more so in the second after the, after the changes, and I'm going to throw quite a lot at you in one go here, Pete, but the other thing that that I noticed was Connor Townsend, who through all the data all season has not only been our best crosser of the ball, but data-wise has been one of the best crossers of the ball, if not the best crosser of the ball in the championship, put one cross in in 90 minutes. So we're playing a shape with Andy Carroll in the middle that doesn't get our best crosser of the ball putting balls into the box. Sorry, I've thrown a lot at you there. I know there's uh, different differences in shape, the way we defend, crossing the ball, players n- playing close or not close to Carroll. Unpick that as you will in whatever order you want to, mate.
0: Well, I think it kind of comes down to the fact that, like I said before, we've not got a consistent way to create chances. I think you need a, like obvious patterns in a system where you're going to create chances in the same way regularly. And then obviously... Sometimes you just find other ways in a game to create a chance, but you need that consistent pat- pattern throughout the system. Obviously, under Ishmael, we had we crossed the ball a lot, and then we had the throw-ins and the set pieces where we could regularly create chances. And under Bruce, I'm just not sure sure what it is. I don't think I've seen anything yet, which kind of comes down to, links back to Townsend, not getting in positions to get crosses in. If that's how we want to score, if we want to play with Carroll up front, we've got Townsend, who, as you say, is a very good crosser. Then we need to keep getting into positions where Townsend can have space to get a good cross in and have people in the box like Carroll to attack that cross. But that's something that needs to be worked on in the training ground to create that system and create that space. Same can I just ask on
1: on that, Pete? It feels to me like Steve Bruce over the last few weeks has worried quite heavily about how do we get the best out of our attacking players. But for me, the best players in this squad are mostly defenders. Should he not be worrying about how to get the best out of our defenders and then... See if the, see see if you know if maybe maybe we can be a bit of a bit, a bit of a one nil team if if Carol can knock one in and get a bit of confidence if Grant can get his confidence back can we be can we be a bit of a one nil team because I don't feel like getting the best out of our defenders at the expense of our attackers is doing us a lot of good
0: no i under Ishmael. We had the best. Sorry, the defensive. other way around. They're
1: getting the best out of our attackers at the expense of our defenders, is what I meant to say.
0: Yeah, I you knew what you meant. Yeah, now we had the best defence in the league, basically. And when you look at the numbers, so obviously it can be done with this squad. I think on personnel, we suit the back three better than the back four um so personally I'd be sticking with that and if we do manage to just basically not concede goals and we've always got a chance of winning just like you say with the one nils or maybe even more because I mean if you grab a goal and don't concede then teams are going to come out at you and that is when we've done better really when teams have been chasing a goal to to equalize it that's when we create more chances and and best quality chances so if we start the defense and it well I mean it will put us in the right direction to picking up more points.
1: Just on the back five, the three centre-halves, which obviously we didn't start with. We we started with four at the back and we got ourselves ahead. Not the most beautiful goal we'll score all season, but I think there was always a fairly high likelihood that when we finally scored that it wasn't going to be a 30-yard purler, It was probably going to be one that a scuffed shot that um, maybe I'm being a bit harsh on Jason Molumby there. I'm not sure how scuffed it was, but it certainly takes a fairly decent deflection on the way through. It was going to be one of those sort of scrappy goals. But after that, and particularly in the second half, after Wilder made his changes and moved Tavernier out onto the, onto the left and he started absolutely terrorizing us down that side. I was very, very critical on Twitter after the game. And I stand by this opinion that Bruce didn't react, that he didn't change things. Were you shocked that he didn't go probably bring Adam Reach off, bring Darnell Furlong on, move Dara Shea into centre-half, go three centre-halves, wing-backs, and try and stop what was a very obvious avenue of attack for them down that left-hand side, and go to a shape as well that, like you say, for the majority of the season, we've had the best defensive record in the division playing.
0: That's exactly what I've got written down in my notes, that we'd have been better off with... Switching to that back three, having Furlong on it, the wing back, and then Dara in it, right centre-back, because there was a fair few times that Dara got caught out against Tavernier, and I think it wouldn't be unfair to say that a lot of the, I think it was the first goal, was kind of down to, down to Dara, but, I mean, it's his first game back, and he was against a very good player, Tavernier, and Kind of needed, and
1: he's playing a position that's not his best position. I know he broke into the side as a as a as a right back at the end of the slavon Bilic season, but he is a centre half, isn't he?
0: Yeah, exactly, and that's where I think he needed that bit of help from from Bruce to change the formation and and kind of pass Tavernier on to Furlong, and then O'Shea can just kind of act as cover or support to Furlong when he's dealing with Tavernier, and obviously we'd have another another. Centre back in place to defend defend the crosses and balls across the box.
1: I don't want to get on at Bruce particularly because, like I say, I, I, I saw I saw the Steve Maidley article earlier in the week, which he got a lot of stick for Newcastle from Newcastle fans for. But I understand where Steve is coming from. That he has took what is largely a toxic task, and uh, and and I think I think he's I think he's on to a loser. If, if I'm honest, if I'm going to go all Nostradamus on us, I I I don't think we'll see, see Steve Bruce as the West Bromwich Albion manager beyond the end of this season. I think we'll have we'll struggle our way towards the end of the season. We won't get anywhere near the playoffs, and I think Brucey and the club will probably have a conversation where a parting of ways suits everyone, and we can we can go for. A younger manager that will will give us a fresh start and might give us an opportunity going forward so i don't want to i don't want to have too heavy a go on on Steve Bruce because I think he is he's desperately trying to find a way to play with these players but in game he's got to react the fans were very quick to jump all over valerian Ishmael. oh he makes the same substitutes on sixty minutes. what I would have given for a substitution on sixty minutes I, I was he waited till we were two one down to change it Pete and I'm still days later can't get my head around what the bloke was thinking in the post match interview he talked about how he had a lack of attacking options on the bench to change it to get back into the game okay bruce you're right you did you know you've got a you've got a young kid you've got callum robinson who by the way will come to in a little bit because his numbers don't don't look great for him and i think he's been dreadful for quite some time but in terms of you had defensive options you had matt clark You had Darnell Furlong. You could have thrown either of those on. And you could have done it earlier. You could have done it at 1-0 because this was coming at 1-0. He had time at 1-0 to change it. And I just think, Pete, it's unforgivable that he didn't react as a manager. And I think he has to carry a lot of the can for that defeat in midweek.
0: He waited till we were losing 2-1 to react. He didn't need to bring on attacking options to kind of change the game. He could have just brought on Furlong for maybe reach or and gone into a 3-4-3 three three or whatever, or a 3-5-2, three, a three, just change that back three shape before they get the goals. And it impacts the game. Who knows what would have happened, but it might stop them from getting the goals before even had to think about bringing on attacking options because we are chasing the game. I think you just need to be a bit more proactive and see what's going wrong and try and fix that before, before it has actually gone wrong and changed the game. And then that's when he reacted from there.
1: There's a couple of quite worrying trends here that, that speak more generally to us and, and straddle the Valerian Ishmael and the Steve Bruce uh, reign. The, the, the one that I want to talk about is this these second half collapses that seem to be coming, becoming so prevalent – There seemed to be a point in the season where, I mean, we just weren't scoring in the first half of games. We haven't scored in the first half of games for much of the season, it certainly seems, anyway, other than the first few weeks. But there was a point in the season where we seemed to be coming on and getting late goals in, in games, whether that be Birmingham or Hull or even in the Peterborough game. But certainly in recent weeks, the second half collapses just seem to be happening every single week. What are the numbers saying? I
0: looked at expected goals rather than actual goals because it kind of gives a better indication into the performance. I mean, goal scoring can be a lot of noise. It can be a lot of luck and whatever. Um, but basically, we, in general, it surprised me that we do marginally better in the second half of games. We create more chances, but we also concede more. We create more by a slightly higher amount. So the expected goal difference in the first half of games Per first half is 0.3. We create 0.3 expected goals more than the opposition. But then in the second half it goes up to 0.34. So slightly better in the second half. But I also looked into it, broke it down into depending on whether we're winning or losing at half time. And basically we're we kind of don't create much when we're losing at half time. So when we're losing at half time, we create on average 0.57 expected goals. In the second half, whereas when we're when we're winning at halftime, we create one point two eight, so more than double than when we're losing. And I mean, obviously, that's a problem. It could be down to teams kind of sitting in a bit more, making it harder to to break down. But nevertheless, half as much as when we're winning is is a massive difference, especially when we we desperately need the goals to to chase the results.
1: I know it's speculative, but do you think we've talked a lot about the mentality of this team over pretty much every pod that we've done so far? Do you think that's a mentality issue in terms of the players can't pick themselves up after going behind and get back into the game? Or is it more a tactical issue in the sense that we simply don't have the players, the, the, the depth in this squad, the breadth of options to change things when it starts going wrong? I mean, you look at Bruce, he was right after. One thing I did agree with him in his post-match press conference is that when we did get to 2-1 down, he's right. If he turns around and looks behind him and says, what have I got to change it? He's got absolutely nothing. So do we think it's probably the the, the players suffer when they go behind due to mentality? Or is it due to options? Because the the funny contrast here is when you actually look back to the last promotion season under Slab and Billich we won we won more points than anyone else in the division from losing positions in fact it, it i i always, i always said to my mates i was like if you want to bet this weekend have Albion to win, but concede the first goal because it seemed like the easiest bet in the world. Cause we were doing it every week. And that was with quite a lot of these players. So the mentality there to going behind was decent, but then you had, you had a plethora of options. You could change the, the wide players. You could change, you could change the forward, whether it was bringing on somebody like Charlie or Hal depending on who would, who had started, you'd got Pereira in behind making chances. So what do you think? Do you think we're talking mentality? Do you think we're talking lack of tactical options? Or is it, what what is normally the case, a little bit of a, a mix of them both?
0: It's probably a bit of a mix, but mainly down to not having that natural, creative player as a kind of number 10, a player that's going to do things off the cuff and just not kind of just play through the through the system. They're going to be inventive on the pitch and create chances. Because when, when teams score first against us, that a lot of the time they're going to look to get drop into a bit of a low block and just get men behind the ball, um, just kind of protecting that penalty area, very narrow. So if crosses come in, then they can head them away. Just plenty of men behind the ball, basically. So at that point, you need someone to to be, you need that special kind of player that's going to create chances movement off the ball as well as spotting runs on it and playing those through balls. I think we're missing that, and I'd say that's the I mean, that's kind of crucial to breaking down a low block or missing earlier in the season. We were kind of, I think we could have done with Carroll earlier because the other option for kind of breaking down those low blocks is to just swing loads of crosses in because um, you're going to dominate a lot of the position. But we're kind of missing a real target man to, to head him in. If we'd got Carroll early in the season, then I think we could have seen us breaking down low blocks a bit easier because he would have scored a few headers. But
1: But then do we come back to the formation, Pete? Because I agree with you. I think that's, it's a valid tactic to break a team down that sat in against us. But if our width is coming from wide forwards whose natural clivity is to tuck in, Grady's a right footer on the left and I'll come to him in a second because he didn't, he didn't put a a single crossing in the Middlesbrough game. Now, by the way, I'd just like to clarify, I'm not going to criticise Grady, spoiler alert. I think he actually, when you look at his numbers, he had a good game. But what you can say is when he plays on the right, he doesn't put crosses in. So if you've pinned your two fullbacks back by playing four at the back, and your wide men are Carlin Grant and Grady Garner, who is not on the right side for his foot, you're not going to get a lot of crosses in. You actually look at the data. The player who made the most crosses for us against Middlesbrough it was Jason Malumbi?
0: Yeah, but then I suppose we weren't trying to break down a low block against Middlesbrough because we got that first goal. So they were kind of coming out against us, and in theory, Grant would have been useful to make make those runs in behind and kind of try and counter them. In the first half, there was a couple of times when they kind of left two two men back against two of ours, so there was chances to kind of hit them on the counter, but we just we didn't seem to really take those chances and, and create good opportunities. But in general. Obviously, Grant aren't Grant and Grady on those sides aren't aren't ideal if you're wanting to whip crosses in. It kind of has to come from your wing backs, which is obviously more likely going to happen if you use a back three rather than a back four. So yeah, like you say, it comes down to formation
1: again. And just on Grant, because we'll come to Grady in a moment, because I do think. And I'll be interested to hear what you say whether you agree with this, but I do think he's one of the few positives at the moment, but on Grant, I have to say i don 't know what he's bringing to the team at the moment. I went through the numbers there's really not a lot in there for for Carlin Grant to pick out and say he did he did that particularly well, but I suppose he's almost getting in the team by default because you look at what Callum Robinson brought to the side, and okay, he was only on the pitch fourteen minutes only touch the ball six times ryan tullock who is a kid and came on 3 minutes later touched it nine times so callum robinson has got to find a way to get him in himself in, in the game i realize we're not playing a shape that is terribly suited to those two players but then if it's not suited to it why are they even playing that this is what i don't i don't understand i mean we are such a mishmash at the moment have a side where we are. I keep using the phrase "square pegs and round holes," but I feel like that's what that's what we are at the moment. And I, I, I do honestly believe at this minute, unless we're going to play a shape that suits them, I feel like Grant and Robinson are a waste of time in this team.
0: With Grant, obviously, he's in a, in a real slump. It's backed up by his, his numbers as well. In the last three games, his average of expected goals and expected assists is about 0.1. So in that kind of form, he'd he'd get a goal or an assist once every 10 games, which is, I mean, that's awful as as one of the three forward players. When you look at it over the whole season, he he has these games where he has registers really high expected goals. And then he goes like two or three games where he registers almost next to nothing. So it's it's a bit of a strange pattern. But at the minute, he's obviously registering almost next to nothing. So I think the question there is, could he... Be about to come good again is that kind of just a pattern he goes through but then I think one of the troubles with him is that he never receives the ball on the half turn he always either is running in behind or he receives with his back to goal and kind of comes short for it but he's always got a defender that follows him really tight behind him and then he kind of doesn't know what to do with it which really impacts how he kind of helps the team build up
1: well the so other think... thing is pete I can't remember the last time I looked at his data and saw a completed dribble on it
0: no but I mean, going back to those pass receptions, we kind of need someone next to him that's going to run in behind because if he's coming short and pulling his marker with him, then there's going to be a big space in behind him. And obviously Andy Carroll isn't that man. So it kind of just, again, feels like a, like you said earlier, a mismatch of a squad that's going to, it's just not built to play with each other. If we have DK, then, I mean, that might work. He might make those runs into the space that Grant kind of frees up. But yeah, like you say, he's, um, he's not a dribbler, really. I don't think, I, I just don't see him beating his, man that often i think he he runs into space with the ball quite well but when he comes down to to beat a man then i just i'm not sure he's got it in him
1: but th- then again pete i mean just again talking talking tactically on this and i i am no uh, you are far more knowledgeable when it comes to tactics than 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 i i make no make no bones about that my 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 background is journalism not uh, n- uh, not tactics and performance analysis but Having looked at things, I can't help but feel that if you've got Grant who's coming short and isn't able to, his only game is to get in behind. He's not going to beat a man. You've you've got Carroll in the middle, but he's having to come short because we're not getting enough crosses into the box for him to actually win aerial duels in the penalty area. He win he won again. It was only six aerial duels this time, and he's normally in double figures, 12 to 16 for a, for a game. So it was a lot less this time. But when you look at where he wins them, and they're, 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 they're much, much deeper. He's he's not winning them in the penalty area a lot of the time. Surely teams are just looking at us and going, well, if you put a low block against Albion, then they can't threaten him behind, and they're not putting the ball in towards Carroll. I mean, we're sussed out in that situation, aren't we?
0: Yeah, I think teams kind of just need to stop Grant running in behind with Carroll, make sure that we kind of stop the cross. And like you said, Townsend, I think you said Townsend put in one cross against Middlesbrough, which looks like they did that. And with Grady, just make sure he doesn't get, make sure your fullback doesn't get isolated against him, make sure you double up on him so that just to protect against his dribbling ability, because I think we'll talk about it later. But again, it kind of comes down to the system. We need to get Grady against the fullback more often and just isolated against him. So if he beats him, he's in space. He can even get across him, get shot off or do whatever but I think he's getting doubled up on a lot and it's kind of just, I mean, almost nullifying our attack.
1: Yeah, just on Grady, I mean, his numbers are decent from that game. Most dribbles, he was most fouled, unsurprisingly. He had a pass completion rate of 83%, which which is decent, especially when you look at where on, on the field he's, he, he's um, making those passes. He's also played the most through balls, which is also important when you talk about trying to get Carl and Grant in behind. He is top of the stats for what are considered the most bad touches with with six. However, what I would say is I, I would actually flip that and say that that is a positive stat because, one, it means that Grady receiving the ball in dangerous areas... Two, it means he's tr- he's trying things which the rest of the players aren't. And three, as you quite rightly quite rightly pointed out a second ago, he is being doubled up on. And if he's being doubled up on, that should free somebody else up. When I look through the squad and I look through the data and everything, I have to say, Pete, he he looked like the one standout positive from from our 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 side.
0: Yeah, I'd say he is. I'd say he's definitely our most promising player. He seems to be one of the only players that in the attacking third actually looks comfortable on the ball. That he, He's confident he's not going to get tackled, he's not going to give it away and he, he kind of wants to play football with it and just move it around, have it back. So it kind of seems like we lack enough players that want, want to get on the ball and impact the game. He's our only natural dribbler in the squad, I'd say. Hickman has shown, shown glimpses of it, but obviously he needs to do it over a bigger, a longer period to really go down as be seen as a good dribbler.
1: Um, nonetheless would you have him in the team at the moment because I know a lot of Albion fans would
0: yeah I definitely would I can't see I can't see why you wouldn't really I mean we're not creating anything and when he has played he he's generally been a bright spark he's had a couple of games where he's not really got into the game much but I mean he's only 21 so it's kind of, you can't expect him to be a 10 out of 10 every game but on the whole when he's played he's been he's been very good and promising so I think even just for the energy the squad just seems to when he's played, he's wanted to get on the ball and impact the game, which is what I've just been saying. We lack enough players that want to do that. So if it was up to me, I'd get him on. I'd be tempted to put him in on what Reach is doing. I don't think Reach has been nearly as bad as a lot of people have said recently. I don't think he had a good game against Middlesbrough. That's probably his worst recently. But give Gardner Hickman a chance in there and see if he can get on the ball. And create be because he's going to run off the ball as well, which makes it easier for players like Grady to, to kind of slide those true balls in and and start to create chances
1: and on positives as well I agree with you I think I, 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 I would take reach out of the firing line a little bit I thought he was very very poor against Middlesbrough I, I actually counted Pete and he was he was dispossessed three times in possession in the first three minutes which was which was atrocious I don't know whether he'd had a bad night's sleep the, the night before or whatever but he looked half asleep and having come on and defended him after the Sheffield United game and I. I have no fear in changing my opinion. I will happily defend a player when he deserves defending and say he's had a good game when people are saying he's had a bad game. And I will equally turn around and say a player has had a very poor game when uh, uh, the same player has had a very poor game when he's had a very poor game. And I thought he was extremely, extremely poor against Middlesbrough. And I was surprised he didn't get taken off much, much earlier than than he did. He's In terms of midfield partners... Mowat, it was a, it was another very Mowat performance. Did some decent bits, but not enough and not not progressive enough. Malumbi, I thought, was a big positive. But the thing with Jason Malumbi and this is where he holds himself back. I I feel he's got to find a way to not pick up a yellow card because he puts shackles on his own game. He was he and Grady were our two best players without a shadow of a doubt for me over the ninety minutes against Middlesbrough. But Jason Mullumbi, as soon as he picks up that first first half yellow card, you just know he can't quite do Jason Mullumby things for the rest of the game.
0: Yeah, it's a problem for him, and I mean, it's a problem for, for two of our other midfielders in mo and Livermore. They quite often pick up bookings, and it's something we've spoken about quite a lot recently. And it it just limits it. Having a midfielders that can commit a foul later in the game is really important, especially when you're chasing a game, because if you push your men forward and then suddenly, for example, does get the ball and start to counter, then a little foul, just as they're starting the counter on the halfway line, I mean, it's a, it's generally a good thing to do to stop that counter. And
1: Well, they did a bit of that, didn't they, to us?
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think it's just part of the game. It's an important part, but you can't have midfielders that are on yellow cards because otherwise they're going to pick up another yellow and it's going to be a red. I think you kind of need to save that yellow card almost for more important situations later on the game where you commit the foul, you know you're getting a yellow, but you take it because it stops a goal-scoring opportunity.
1: There were other positives in terms of the forwards, Pete. A couple of weeks ago, uh, I think it was Sheffield United away, you were very critical of the fact that all of our shots were, or the vast majority of our shots were from outside the box. Actually, all eight of our shots against Middlesbrough were inside the 18-yard box. So we are seeing progression there. And I I, I can't help but feel without sounding like the eternal optimist that there is maybe an opportunity Monday night against Swansea, just simply due to who the opposition is and the way that they play. We've talked about how we're utterly nullified by a low block. I don't think there's any chance whatsoever, given the way Russell Martin plays his football, of Swansea coming and setting up with, uh, with a low block against us. The other thing is, at Swansea, where we got absolutely murdered in that second half in particular was Val sticking doggedly to his high line and Patterson and the Dutch centre-forward, whose name escapes me, I'm afraid, <coughs> playing in behind us and absolutely destroying us. If I don't think we will be as high a line as that against them under Bruce. I can't see why on earth we would. He's shown no signs of playing such a high line in the opening four games. But I think there's an opportunity here to switch back to three centre-halves, to get the wing-backs involved more in getting crosses into the box for Carroll because Swansea are not the biggest side in the division by any stretch of the imagination. And also to maybe because they probably will play a relatively high line to have an opportunity to perhaps get grant in behind and exploit exploit those spaces but i think he's got to find a way of playing that he can settle on now it's been it's been four games i think it's been four formations hasn't it like I, I, he's got to find a way of playing and for me it's let's get back to what we're good at Let's get back to three centre-halves.
0: Yeah, it all sounds good when you uh, when you say it like that. And in theory, Grant might might benefit from playing a team like that. So, I mean, let's hope he does. But yeah, I definitely agree on. We need to find out what formation we're going to use going forward, where the creativity is going to come from. Because like we said a number of times, we don't have that, that natural number 10 that's going to create for us. So figure that out. And then, I mean, work on it, work on it in training, which I'm sure they are doing, but we need to be able to, consistently create chances in a kind of repetitive pattern so that we know what we're doing, we know how we're going to do it because we've not got that off-the-cuff creativity that's going to score us goals every game. So we need to know exactly what we're going to do to create chances and do that well and hopefully that will lead us to scoring some more goals.
1: Are we, are we seeing here, Pete, that a lot of the criticism of, of Valerian Ishmael sticking quite so doggedly to his formation was largely unfounded because... We've seen what happens now over the course of four games when when you do chop and change in formation. By the way, just for the record, I'm not saying that there wasn't occasions when Valerian Ishmael perhaps should have changed his his shape when he was West Bromwich Albion manager. And by that, I mean in-game. But chopping and changing game to game, actually having a formation which the players are extremely well drilled in, And whether you like what we were doing going forward or not under Val, we were very, very solid defensively, and the lads knew what they were doing. And I don't feel like they do under Bruce. I I, I could genuinely sit and watch us under Val and think, I can't see us conceding here. Half the time, I couldn't see us scoring either, but I can't see us, I can't see us scoring here. And uh, sorry, I can't see us conceding here under Brucey. I am in cold sweats every time the opposition come forward and I just feel like he's got a he's got a decent base from Val in the in a formation that the players know he might want to make certain tweaks to it in terms of individuals and in terms of the way that they play going forward and I I completely accept that he's probably not going to want to play the same up an atom, high intensity, long ball into the forward, kind of get players up around them, set pieces, throw ins into the box, kind of stuff that Val played. But without the ball, why not just stick with what Val did? Because the, the, there wasn't a lot wrong with what Val did without the ball. The problem with what Val did was with the ball to an extent.
0: Yeah, like I said earlier, with Ishmael in charge, we had the best defensive record. So you think you'd kind of want to stick to a similar blueprint defensively to keep that keep that going we worked pretty well with a high line um, Johnston, despite a couple of mistakes early on was very good at sweeping up behind it and I think that in the end that role kind of suited him he read the game very well and saved us more times than he made mistakes so overall that was positive but yeah like I've said you kind of need either a creative team or player that's going to create chances for you when he sees openings and just kind of do what he feels inside the game or that system that's going to create your chances through repetition. And under Val, we had that kind of system. We didn't have that creative player, which is kind of down to Val. He didn't want him because he knew that he wanted to play a more system-based game. And that's what he did. And I think overall, we did create chances much better than the goals that we scored showed for it. So I think that was a kind of positive. But with Bruce, it just seems to be that like you said, the players don't really know what they're doing. We keep chopping and changing formation. I think if we had Mateus Pereira now, then we'd be scoring goals because I think he'd, he'd create chances for the likes of Grant and Diangana and the other, the rest of the players. But we don't have that player, so I think it comes to comes down to the coach a bit more to kind of implement that, that tactics and that style that's going to create your chances consistently.
1: Just to sum up, Pete, is the gist of what we're saying that Really, to a certain extent, we haven 't got the players that we want we 're outside of a transfer window, so there 's absolutely no opportunity of buying the players that we want it 's not like there's going to be a, a beautiful, wonderful number ten midfielder out there who is sat without a club who is going to come in and transform our, our midfield it 's not going to happen there isn't there, there simply isn 't one that that exists so to a certain extent it 's almost like like you said. Last week, just take the pressure of the playoffs off the lads. Don't even worry about it. Just try and get through the season, see how many points we can get, but maybe don't go searching for the golden goose of a wonderful formation with these players because the reality is it probably doesn't exist because the squad is so horribly unbalanced. Let's just try and get through to the end of the season and generate the most amount of good feeling that we, and goodwill that we possibly can with the fans by getting a few results, going out there, battling, keeping a few clean sheets, which is the one thing that we actually should be good at with this group of players, and score a few goals as we can with as much as we can with the personnel that we've got and then hope DK comes back and is something close to transformative for us in the last five, six games, whatever it is that we that we end up getting out of him. And then just basically, we go into the biggest summer that probably we have had in a long time, definitely in 22 years. um, And probably, you know, as, as somebody said, probably the biggest transfer window since since we brought in those five players under Gary Megson that kept us up. And that's what we go into. And really, even at this point now in late February, it's all about next year and it's all about building for next year because I think without being too negative, this season's gone.
0: I mean, that's basically my thoughts. I'd also add to get Grady playing as much as he can and with as much freedom as he wants and just kind of tell him to get on the ball and just see what he can do because. At the minute, that's the most enjoyable bit for me, watching watching Alvin. It's just seeing Grady get on the ball, and he's the only real player that we've got that's kind of exciting me at the minute. And yeah, so get him on the ball, try and get his confidence back, and just let him play without pressure. And then obviously, we've got the summer, and I mean, I think there's quite a lot of changes that need to happen for us to have a, a squad that's going to be able to, to compete next year, because we've said it a million times on, on this pod that it's deeply unbalanced. So that needs to be addressed.
1: Quite a lot of changes within the squad, but also quite a lot of changes behind the scenes as well. Yep, I
0: mean, I think that's equally as important because we need we need that structure with the vision of what we're going to do long term, and then that's where we we make the changes to the squad from. We need to know what we're going to what we're looking at, who's going to be in charge, what system they want to play, and then you go out and you get your get the players that you want, and you try and move on the players that, that aren't going to work for you in that in that
1: system. Just on that, just a, a final point to finish. Pete, would would you be doing that level of turnover in the squad with Steve Bruce as the manager?
0: That's a difficult one.
1: That, this is not trying to have a go at Brucey or anything. I just think I, I, what I'm the point I'm trying to make is, you know, I'm not happy with what he did last week, but that has nothing to do with the, with the reason I asked that question. The reason I asked that question is, do you turn over a squad which probably needs 11 12 10 11 out 10 11 in with a guy who's only got 12 months left on uh, left on his contract or if you've got a break clause do you just do you just say thank you very much for your help mr bruce you've got us through to the end of the season but we want to bring somebody in to put them on a three year deal and 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 see if and build a squad for them that 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 can lead us forward is is that is that the smart thing to do?
0: Yeah, what I will say is that I think we should be on the lookout for a replacement, and if a good option does come up, then then probably look at trying to move Bruce out and bring in this replacement. But I mean, it depends if we can get in a, a better option. I'd rather have a, a manager in longer term to turn over the squad because you he know he's going to be around for it. I mean, without record, he probably won't be around for it. But yeah, I mean, more importantly, we need that director of football, sport and director to, to see that if we do go with Bruce and after Bruce, who have we got, have we got someone similar to come in and take over that squad? That's going to work well with it. Or if, I mean, if we don't have one, then we'll probably have the same thing that's happened this season, where we go from, from one squad and one system to that same squad, but with a completely different system. And as we've seen, it's not worked very well.
1: No. And that's a fair point. And I suppose to kind of rain on my own point there a little bit, I suppose, ultimately, what we're striving towards is getting to that Dan Ashworth model where you can lift the coach out, drop another one in and and nobody really notices. And if we can get ourselves to that point, then it doesn't actually matter whether Bruce stays for another 12 months and we, and and we change him because we've built a squad that has longevity and we have a structure within the squad that, that has, uh, that has longevity as, as well. So it's an interesting one. What we do in the summer is a very interesting one, but I do think that that is probably where our focus shifts to now, especially after yet another defeat against Middlesbrough in midweek. Of course, Swansea coming up on Monday and whilst... I don't think a victory against them would necessarily fully reinvigorate a, a promotion push and I think there's some Albion fans who would who, who who would even be concerned if we got if we got promoted with the with with this squad I think there is an, a vital importance to try and build the morale of the fan base and build the morale around the club ahead of what is going to be a really massive summer for this club wherever we finish in the championship this year. That's all the time we have for today, but if there's something that you want us to cover on the pod, then please do reach out to us. We've got a dedicated pod account, which is out at Albion Analysis, or you can tweet myself at CJHall83 or at AnalyticsWBA if you want to contact pete about tactical matters because blimey he knows a lot more than i do we'll be back after the swansea game maybe maybe finally we'll get to talk about that elusive win hopefully it will be a more positive conversation than it has been over the last few weeks but until we speak again thanks for listening and up the baggies